Hello everyone and welcome back to another edition of the Shared Ireland podcast and a particular hello to anyone that maybe is joining us for the first time. So today's guest is a writer and lawyer from Belfast. You'll have seen her um, and heard her talk on BBC UDB and she's fairly active uh, on social media and she's a regular contributor to Slugger O'Toole. It gives Shared Ireland great pleasure to welcome along Sarah Creighton. How are you, Sarah? I'm all well, very well, thank you. <laughs> uh, thanks for giving up your busy time because, um, I, as I said in my introduction there, you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that comes with its own unique set of challenges, yes, probably. It does, indeed. You know, I, in my day job, outside of talking about politics, I work for a housing charity. So um, I work as a housing advisor and a court representative for them. So I represent people um, facing repossession hearings in the county court and the high court. Um, I deal with homeless reviews and termination points, all that type of thing. So it's a busy job. <laughs> I can only imagine, and I certainly don't envy you. Sarah, we always kind of um, start off for the benefit of any of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with you. Mm. Tell us, who exactly is Sarah Creighton? And tell me a little bit about your background. This question, everybody loves it, don't they? Well, okay, I'm from um, a Protestant Unionist family. I'm a Unionist myself. Um, I'm from East Belfast. Lived in East Belfast all my life. Now currently living in South Belfast with my partner. I'm hoping to move back to the East because I miss it terribly. Um, I went to Queen's, um, did a degree in politics, and I went and did a degree in law. Qualified as a solicitor and worked in private practice for a couple of years. As I said, now I'm working for a housing charity. Um, and then also on the side, I do political commentary. So I'm writing, as you say, for Soccer Tool. I've written for The Guardian. Um, I've written for some other publications like the Fabian Review. Um, you know, my family background, um, as I say, is Protestant Unionist. You know, both my parents are from Belfast. My grandparents on one side are from Derry. The other ones are from Ballyhalbert. So I'm from all over the show. <laughs> I've just noticed there, don't take this the wrong way, because we've spoke about it off air. You nearly speak as fast as Michelle O'Neill and, and Naomi Long. I'll try and slow down. As I, as I said to you, it's because you're usually on television with men and they try and they, they take up all the time to speak and you have to rush. You have to speak really quickly to get your word out. <laughs> and, and again, coming from a typical man's point of view, you know, I, I must admit, I didn't even think about it from that perspective until you mentioned it, but... Um, yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, you do. I just, I, I think people in Belfast speak fast anyway, but it is usually you think I've got a couple of seconds to get your point out, so I just go really, really fast, which <laughs> in media training they say, slow, slow down, for goodness sake, slow down. <laughs> okay, no problem. Sarah, tell me this, I suppose, leading into our first question. Hmm. Where do you stand on the Northern Ireland Protocol? Must it go, or does it, is it a matter of making the best of a bad situation, I guess? For me, it's making the best of a bad situation. You know, I don't like the protocol. I would have preferred um, Theresa May's deal, though I wasn't entirely enthusiastic about that either. You know, I, I thought the best thing that we could have done is remain to the single market and the customs union or an F deal. That would have kept the border open between North and South, would have had no border down the Irish Sea. Um, I think the protocol is the only show in town, really. Um, and I think that if there was a viable alternative to the protocol that could get rid of the sea border and also keep the border between north and south open, I would go for it. Um, I don't think the people proposing to ditch the protocol have put that on the table. I understand why they want to get rid of it. I get it. But I feel like we could reform it. We could fix it, fix the issues that are there. We could sign an SBS deal. You know, we could, the, the EU has made quite considerable concessions. I know some people think they don't go far enough, but I think we could look at them. The UK government does have some proposals as well we could consider. Um, but I think the 
the ironic thing about the UK government proposals is that a lot of them are built on trust <laughs> between the UK and the EU. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think they're doing what they need to do to try and show trust. You know, so I'm I'm basically look if we can get this fixed and make it work. You know, within the most, I think that is the best realistic thing we can do right now. You know, that but I don't like the protocol. I'm not a huge fan, but I'm I'm pragmatic <laughs> by yeah. nature. Yeah. Was backing Brexit a huge strategic mistake by unionism, and I guess in particular the DUP, sir? Yeah, it was. You know, like my my dad voted leave, my brother voted leave. I get why they voted leave. I get why people voted Brexit. Um, I think we have to put Brexit into a, 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 a worldwide phenomenon, which I think is a big pushback against globalisation. I get it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I took one look at the people who were leading the Brexit campaign and thought, no, <laughs> I didn't see what their alternative was. You know, I argued with my dad and my dad's a, my dad's a socialist. You know, he's hated the EU since the 1970s. And I said to him, but this isn't going to be... this isn't going to be the Lexit that you think this is going to be. This is going to be a Brexit by a bunch of right-wingers who just want to push the economic... You know, they're not concerned about globalisation. They're not concerned about people left behind. You know, they just want to make more money and they're they're, they're going to push an agenda that that is going to actually make people worse off. You know, if, if Brexit had been put forward by people that I maybe thought would have gone down that route, maybe I would have considered it. But yeah, it was a huge strategic mistake. But I think it was a it was a worse strategic mistake to back a hard Brexit. You know, mm-hmm. as I said, we could, they could have, we left the European Union and the DUP could have said, okay, but maybe we should stay in the customs union or the single market or align with it or, or you know, take some forward, um, have a strategy that basically say, takes the, the hard border off the table, takes one, doesn't put one down the Irish Sea and by, you know, leaving the customs union and the single market, the water had to go somewhere. And that they, and then effectively the two communities basically had to take positions to try and stop one or the other instead of working together really so i think it was i think it's been an absolute disaster for unionism and i think i think a lot of people know that um you know as i said i get why they did it but not like this and yeah it's yeah no problem thanks for that and we'll i suppose talk about that as we continue this conversation mm-hmm. just moving away from slightly off brexit for a moment what's your take sarah on the recent violence witnessed at a protocol protest mm-hmm. in lanark way uh, in Belfast, are the young people simply being exploited to do the work of others? And I suppose we all seen that there was, I think, was it a ten-year-old and a twelve-year-old actually arrested? Yeah. What's what? What's your take on all that? You know, obviously, you know, I'm 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 middle class. I'm from a middle class family. I don't live in these areas, so I don't feel overly comfortable speaking on behalf of those people speaking to their experiences. Um, mm-hmm. It's very easy for me to sit here and and say things but and but, it would be very easy for any of us yeah, you're 100 percent right absolutely but I, you know i do there's no doubt i mean that the recent violence at lanark way i mean it was quite clear that the people who organized that did not have the support of the local community it was quite clearly organized by people who were looking for attention mm. you know and you can see that from other people um other people within the lotus community were saying that on, on on twitter and social media we're like we do not want this this is not what we're trying to do and mm-hmm. um, i think putting at the pace line was ridiculous um i think you know, if you want to protest against the protocol, target people in power. You know, target target the British, obviously in a peaceful way, obviously, but, you know, protest against Stormont, protest against the DUP, protest against against the Westminster government. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're angry at Dublin, Westminster, go to the Doyle, again, in a peaceful way, protest down there, not at people on the peace line, um, blaming our neighbours for this, which they didn't want. You know, I'm pretty sure if, if, if they came out tomorrow and said, you know, we're going to 
join the single market, the customs union and ditch the protocol, I'm pretty sure that nobody would really object. I'm pretty sure people here would be happy with it. With regard to the young people, I mean, you don't know because you know, some young people go out and do recreational rioting and it's a bit of crack and out they go, you know, and, and maybe that's what's going on. But and, and these types of things, sadly, maybe potentially fill the void in their lives. Well, yeah, no, that is. And I mean, I think that's the wider point, which is, you know, um, we talked about it, you know, with the last when the violence erupted back in April, you know, about about the peace process and who has got the dividend of that peace process. And you know, my friend of mine, Stephen Donadaza, wrote a really good article for The Guardian about this and about, you know, either side of that Lanark, that Lanark way gate, you know, the two communities are both being affected by austerity and deprivation. Um, and, you know, it's very easy for people to go out and say, oh, but these young people are getting these criminal records. And, you know, someone put it, I can't remember who it was, put it really eloquently on Twitter and said, well, I mean, for some of these young people, they probably think, well, so what? You know, what, what? what am I getting out of this? You know, and, and it, I think it's very easy. And um, when you read, you know, reports by agencies that look into how paramilitarism, you know, comes about in Northern Ireland, part of it is because of socioeconomic problems. So it's very easy here for politicians to come out and condemn this and say, oh, isn't this an outrage? And then vote for universal credit cuts the next day. I'm more shocked by your comment. Somebody put something eloquently on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, we know it happens like once or twice. You'll have to. <laughs> Shouldn't be me. You'll have to screenshot that and let me see it with my own eyes. Shouldn't be me. Sarah, tell me this: Have you ever been approached by any political parties, and um, would you have any interest in a political career? No. Short answer there. <laughs> no, absolutely no. I've never been approached by any political parties. I've never been asked to join one. Um, probably because I am I'm Thran by nature and I like I have my own opinion. Um, I like my own opinion. I I can't tow a party line. You know I, you know I, I have friends that are in political parties and you know it is it is it is tough. You know sometimes people will the party will do things they don't agree with. You know that you have to keep your mouth shut. You just have to work away behind the scenes. It's very very difficult. And, and imagine telling a lawyer to shut her mouth. Well, exactly. You know, I'm just, I'm just too, I've just, I've got my own mind, so I've, I, I wouldn't consider ever being a politician. Now, it, would I work it behind the scenes in politics? Maybe, but it would depend. It would depend. But I have no interest in being a politician. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, Sarah, you recently took part in an event, the future of unionism, mm-hmm. along with Susan McKay. A couple of wee points on this, if you don't mind, Sarah. Yeah. Where do you see the future of unionism? And secondly, at the event, you describe unionism as being at a crossroads. Can unionism reach out, adapt and capture the youth vote, I guess, and as it, even wider than that, engage with us all? I think it can, but I, I think a lot of hard work needs to happen to get it there. You know, So I talked about unionism being at the crossroads. It's quite clear that we're at a point where one type of unionism politically has prevailed and the only direction that can that they can go in now is to go in a much more leftward liberal pragmatic direction and I think I think if unionism does adapt and change um I sound like Bear Grylls saying that but if it does <laughs> if it does I think I think it can I think I think what unionism needs to do you know most of the young people I speak to my age you know you know I was born 1987 grew up after the Good Friday Agreement you know they're they love Northern Ireland. They they love living here. You know, they're, it's very important to their identity. But they're frustrated with the political scene. They're fl- frustrated about jobs and their prospects. And you know, we we've, we've, we've people going away to England and things like that. And they want to stay here. They want to stay here and contribute. And I think that unionism needs to go to people with an inclusive vision of Northern Ireland and what it can be. You know, they need to be advocates for change. You know, the constitutional status quo. As you know, I support that firmly. 
but they need to be agents for change as well. They need to be pushing against the status quo socially and politically within Northern Ireland. You know, it, when I was growing up, every time there was, you know, a, a progressive social policy that I backed, you know, you would look and see who's opposing it, oh, it's the unionists, they're opposing it. You know, and, and, and I, it was so frustrating for me because I was pro-union myself. And that is how a lot of people see political unionism. I think, um, and it, obviously there's a lot of young blood coming into it now who I think are, are hopefully going to change that. But that's what unionism needs to be. You know, it, it, it shouldn't always be what's oh, the unionists opposing this progressive social policy. And, you don't know, to be fair, you know, with, I think to be fair to everyone, you know, the people, every politician in Northern Ireland, Republican, Nationalist and Unionist have followed the people. The people have always been ahead. And, you know, David Irvine was pro-choice before. Republicans were pro-choice, you know, and... and <laughs> you know, people only became equal marriage over the past couple of years. You know, years ago when I was in university, I mean, you know, talk about alliance. I mean, I remember having a conversation with somebody in the student union who was in the Ulster Unionists about abortion, who was pro life. And we had a very interesting discussion and very respectful discussion because I'm pro choice and he was pro life. And then I remember, I remember the alliance youth get up and having a go at me and call me a baby killer. You know, that was my, you know, alliance have moved mountains over the past 10, 15 years, as have every single party in Northern Ireland. As I say, it was it was it was the PUP when I was young that was only vocally and Anna Lowe that were vocally pro-choice. So you know, people people have to go on a journey, and some people are still going through that journey. Yeah. But I I think you know, the I think enough time has passed now. You know, and I, look, some people are conservative; they're entitled to their view. But I, I really do think that, that unionism needs to get on the ball and push against the status quo that we have had politically for the past well, maybe about a hundred years politically. That conservative agenda needs to go. What about the second part of the question, Sarah? And I know you touched on it, but mm. I'd be interested to flesh this out a little bit more. What about reaching out and adapting and capturing the youth vote and mm. engaging with all sections of society? And in fairness to Doug Beatty and mm. his new rebranding, shall I say, of yeah. the UUP. And, and, in, and in fairness to Doug, echoes probably what Mike Nesbitt tried to do mm -hmm. um, before him. Um, it sounds good in paper. Mm -hmm. And I believe Doug is a sincere man. Yeah. But Doug's only one branch of unionism. Mm -hmm. You know, what does unionism, as a unionist yourself, mm -hmm. need to do to really reach out and, I suppose, include us all? And what I'm talking about is all, yeah. talking about my community yeah. and everybody. It, you know, you have to put words into practice. Mm. So, you know, when you talk about a union of people, okay, well, let's let's do that. So let's let's make sure that we're, we're being... You know, so let's talk about the, Sh the Sinn Féin First Minister position. Now, I know that's a small segment of it. Maybe you're going to ask me about Are you going to ask me about that later? I'm going to ask you about oh, okay, that later. Sure. I'll maybe leave that. <laughs> but I mean, it's, you know, they need, they need to be like, I mean, the climate change protest was, was, was happened the other day. You know, Steve McCarthy was there from the Ulster Unionist. He was the only unionist at that, at that march. You know, the DUP weren't there. You know, no other party was there. And I get it. You know, there's historical reasons why unionists are often quite wary of, of social movements in Northern Ireland for, for many reasons, which I get. But you needed to show people that you care about something other than the constitutional question. One hundred percent. That is the key thing. You know, you know, I have friends who are pro-union, but they're not. Their their unionism is basically in a box. A lot of the time, it'll they'll it's called they've got a label on top of it called break in case of a border poll. You have to show people that you care about the cost of living, that you care about jobs and the economy, that you're that you're reaching out and engaging with people. You know, there's a huge number of young people um, engaged in activism in Northern Ireland. You know, the trade unions. You know, these groups have been going for years and years. You need to reach out to them and see what, see what they think. How can you help? What can we do to to, to, to engage with you? Um, 
you know, just show that that you care about something other than than red, white, and blue. And I'm I'm not I'm trying to diminish people that do care about red, white, and blue, by the way, because that is an important issue for people. But you have to show that that you think about something other than than the constitution, you know. And and I'll be honest with you. Obviously, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, we sorry, not me. Yeah. We in the shared Ireland team were were strong advocates of a new shared Ireland. Mm. Some people call it the United Ireland. We tend to use what I think is more softer terminology than that, mm. but we're, we're still, you know, there's there's no doubt what we want to see our future. Mm-hmm. But actually, if we stop, take a moment and breathe, what is our future? Our future is the preservation of this planet. It is about, you know, green issues now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, regardless of what political aspirations we all have, I think now we need to realise that we've already done enough damage and now is the time to put aside differences and actually focus on the real things that do matter. And what really matters is our future, and that includes all aspects of our future. No, absolutely. I mean, I'd said the other day, I mean, we talk a lot about sea borders and borders. We know we'll be in the sea. If we Very don't good. do anything, you know, we will be in the sea. That'll, that'll be a real sea border. Do, do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's literally like, you know, um, you know, friends of mine are, you know, having children and stuff. And it is a conversation you have with each other. You think, is it, you know, these kids are going to go up, they don't, like 30, 40 years time, this whole planet could be completely different if we don't do something. You know, what are we bringing, bringing our children into? You know, it is, it is, it, it's one of those things where if it's actually, when you sit down and think about it, you actually get so terrified that you actually think, I can't actually cope with this because it's so overwhelming, yeah, you know, absolutely. and it, it is one of those things. It's just, as I said, you know, these types of green issues, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, why people weren't there, but, you know, these are these are such a key essential issue. Why is it that there was only one unionist party there? You know, why is it that, that, that this is a key issue, especially for the younger generation coming up, because they know what they're facing. Why is it that they're not being seen? Why are they not being listened to or not being seen to be listened to? So I guess, you know, if there's any unionist political representative listen to this now your message to them would be what engage listen immediately <laughs> get out there show that show that you care and i mean i know you know i know there's this um this bit of conflict in the assembly now evan poots has his climate bill and claire billy has his climate bill and i i've no doubt when you talk to when you talk to a lot of unions they, they, they do they do care about this issue they do but i just think they need to be clear and engaging with people um publicly um just making it clear that they're on side that they understand why this is such an important issue going forward. I think most people listening to this, or I hope most people listening to this, will certainly echo what you're after saying, sir. Sir, just moving back to the event that you participated in with Susan McKay. Yeah. Um, you stated that you believe unity is not on the horizon. For the benefit of our listeners who perhaps maybe didn't hear what you said in that event, can you outline the reasons why you think that is the case? I think it's, I mean, you know, I guess what I would make clear is I, I don't think unity or United Ireland is, is common at the moment. The truth is that I don't know. And I said this at the event, I do not know what is going to happen. Um, but I'm not one of those unionists that thinks it could never happen because, I mean, these days, the way politics is going, who knows what's going to happen. Um, but I don't think it's on the cards. I mean, you know, you look at the opinion polls. I haven't seen any poll that shows a majority for United Ireland. Most people I talk to are focused on health and education and housing. That's not to say they don't have an opinion on the constitutional question, but they're not exercised by it. It's not their top priority. I don't see any momentum towards United Ireland. I don't see any push towards it. 
you know, if, if this is the great push towards a United Ireland, I don't think they're doing very well with respect to as you know. I think the, the polls would be higher. You would, you know, the middle ground is growing. Um, and the middle ground people, uh, people who vote for the middle ground who are Unionist and Nationalist Republican are still Unionist Nationalist Republican. But I just, I, I think a lot of people have questions about what it would look like. What is it going to be? I think people are waiting to see what happens. And I think that is key. I think, I think whoever utilizes this moment effectively, I think that is key. This we're in a moment at this point in time. I don't think you can deny that. But I, I've always described it as being a holding pattern. People, how is Brexit going to turn out? How is what's going to happen to the assembly? Um, I still think a lot of people who are pro-union are still pro-union. You know, there's, I do definitely some people I would say are now maybe flipped and aren't pro-union or unionist anymore. But most people I see still are, but they're frustrated. I think that is key. They're frustrated, and I think they want to vote for the union. They don't want to vote for United Ireland. Give them reasons to vote for it. Yeah, they want. They're looking for a reason to vote for the union, um, and they're not. They're not jumping ship just yet. But just that is why I don't think it's inevitable. I don't see it this being a push towards it now. But I do think we are in a, in a moment. As I said, you know, we can't deny that. Uh, I guess, Sarah, I believe that a border poll is inevitable at some point. Pro-unity voices have work to do, clearly, as it's, it, as it's them <clears throat> who want to see change. Mm-hmm. So the onus is on them. But do you think they are currently maybe better organised than unionism in terms of groups like Ireland's Future, producing discussion papers, holding events, lobbying for a citizens' assembly, etc.? And I suppose just a follow-on point to that, what, if anything, would you like to see more of from unionism in this regard? No, I, I would I would give you that. I do think, certainly when, after Brexit, I mean, certainly I think people who are in favour of United Ireland, I think, got ahead of the curve. Mm. I think, and I think, as I say, they, they, they saw the opportunity coming down the hill. Presented? <laughs> Presented them to themselves, which everybody knew. I mean, I, I've always said this. I said this in my recent article for the Centre for Cross-Border Studies. I woke up the day after the Brexit vote, and the first thing I looked at on my phone, I'd, think I'd, I'd stayed up all night and then I fell asleep and woke up, was my housemate. Like the rest of us? Like my housemate, you know, I... I I knew it was coming. I went, oh my God, I, I can't watch this. And then went to sleep. My housemate had a message in the group chat. She said, there's going to be United Ireland. That was the exact next day. That was back in 2016. 16. She was not political at all. Right. Wow. Um, and I, <laughs> we're going into the office and, you know, me and my dad, of course, would leave. We had an argument. <laughs> um, I do absolutely think that, that I think unionism needs to do, and certainly I think it's, it's starting to happen now. There's groups like, you know, We Make and I Unite in UK are starting to come forward. People, and to believe me, people are talking about this. Mm-hmm. But I do think, in terms of talking about the union and talking about Northern Ireland and uh, talking about the vision for Northern Ireland to the future, I, I do think um, people who are in favour of United Ireland have, have, as you say, with Ireland's future and these other groups, I think have, have got ahead of the game. And I do think um, they are being very vocal and they're very visible in public in terms of what they're doing. I suppose on that note, it seems that the southern government is slowly waking up to the need for serious engagement on this issue now. Um, will this be a game changer potentially now that you have got you know TDs like Neil Ritson, um, Jim O'Callaghan actually you know being vocal and coming out with white papers? You've actually got um, Michael Martin established the shared island unit. So you know this has taken momentum. Would you not agree? No, <laughs> I no. don't know. Simple as that. I, I don't think there's momentum. No, I, 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 
I maybe we're going to talk about the the conversation at some point. Are you gonna? I don't know if we're going to talk about that later. I want to go go I, ahead. Go ahead. I mean, this is this is this is the thing. So you know, as you say, there's conversations, which I don't I don't mind having a conversation. But the the key point is this: who am I talking to, and why am I talking, and why do they want to speak to me? Is key, and I think you know very often for unionists. Um, sometimes they're told look this 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 is happening united ireland is on the way so you need to come and talk to us <laughs> and basically what that is is turn up please and tell us you've lost <laughs> you know it, that's that's, that's An basically interesting it. take on it that is basically turn us you know if united ireland is inevitable if united ireland is on the way then unionism is lost right so if you you, you come to people with that position they're not going to talk to you but but sarah would yeah. it not be fair to say you have to ask the question, what actually does a United Ireland mean? And that's the reason why I personally don't use that terminology. Mm -hmm. It's a new Ireland. It's a shared Ireland. And that, for me, is one that we all need to sit around a table and, and give input into so that we can create it together. The, the, the problem is is that, you know, the, the talk about the conversation is, you know, the, it's a campaign strategy. Like, let's be honest here, okay, that the campaign to win a voter poll has started it has started now you know that that is that is what is going on here because you know whether border portal is going to be called or not i don't know but i think you know you had um gregory campbell on claire Byrne when i was on it he said he expects one to be called in 10 years time i think i think other unionist politicians will tell you that as well so like the campaign to start thinking about winning this thing has has begun and it's quite clear you know talking about having a conversation about united ireland is because they want to seem like it's there's momentum for it they want to make it seem like it's on the way because that's a strategy. Fair enough, that's a strategy because if you yeah, yeah, but but also it's sincerity from my point of view because it's, if we look back at the Brexit fiasco of 2016, mm. where where I think we all agree, regardless of where mm. we stand on that, is that you know it was a lack of preparation on having these detailed conversations that actually people within my own household had to say, you know, what way will we vote here? Because there was actually no nothing fleshed out. And genuinely, Sarah, that's the point that I'm coming from here. Well, well this is this is the thing. You know, I, I think. I think Brexit has, I think for most people have gone, oh my God, we can't, we cannot do this. But I think the point is, you know, saying about being sincere, you know, in terms of conversations, and this is, this is another point I would make, you know, I'm only going to talk to people who I think are going to listen to what I have to say and genuinely care about what I have to say. I'm only going to talk to people who, who I think, like, I mean this with no disrespect, you know, there are some bad faith actors in this and I think what they want you to do is turn up so they can point at you and say, Oh, this wee unionist is here to come and talk to us and you don't feel it doesn't feel quite genuine to me in some cases and there are you know what i would say to people is you know in terms of unionist and lordist engagement you, know, you have to engage with people all year round you have to talk you can't just invite them onto panels and like this is i just, i said this when i was at a shared island event down in wexford you can't just invite unionists onto your panels and say box job, job done mm. you know i'm I not agree. nobody's there to be unionist when addressing so I only talk to people who I think are genuine and sincere. So will I take a, or sorry, shall the shared Ireland podcasting take a slight compliment from that? <laughs> yes. You know, yes, no, I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk to people where I feel like I'm just there for them to tick a box. And that, that, and that, that, that is the case. And I think the other thing you need to worry is, you know, a lot of unions are worried, as I say, they're worried about being used as, as props, as being mm. part of part of a campaign. No, I get and that. And point at it. And, you know, as I say, and I say political, I make it always make the distinction between politicians and people like me. I can do whatever the hell I like. I don't care. Mm. But, you know, it is very difficult for politicians to talk to groups that are campaigning for United Ireland. Official bodies set up. If you know, because what I think is going to happen is a border poll will be called. And then I think they'll probably actually hold the, the, the poll about five years later. 
And in that time, I think there's going to be a lot of discussions. Mm-hmm. I think at that point, unionists are going to have to talk mm-hmm. publicly or privately. They're going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. But you know, at this point in time, I'm happy to talk to everyone, but I don't want to. I don't want to feel like I'm just there yeah. to to for somebody to, to basically put me on a wee pedestal and say, look, here's this wee unionist here to talk to us. I'm only talking to people who are genuine. I, I think just listening to you say that, to be honest with you, it's given me something to consider mm-hmm. moving forward. Even though I believe that, that the Shared Iron team have been pretty consistent in reaching out to everyone, regardless of their political um, opinion. Yeah. But, you know, I suppose we're unashamedly pro-United Irelanders. Yeah. But... You know, in order to be inclusive and yeah. to be live up to our name, shared Ireland. Yeah. You know, it's not certainly a box taking exercise. No. And I know you weren't yeah. making that reference oh, no, to no, us. No, I know you weren't. Yourself, no. But but um, it it actually has given me food for thought that you know, yeah, we we probably still can be more inclusive, and that's something that I certainly will will strive for moving forward. No, it, it, it actually no, it wasn't a criticism of yourselves. It is it is because you know I. I as I say, you can talk to people like Joel Keyes and Jeffrey Donaldson and Dark Betty. You know, he's, he's aren't just he's aren't just talking to people to get as I would say an echo chamber. An echo chamber, <laughs> you know, and I say an echo chambers exist. You know, I could talk for hours about the echo chamber within unionism. Good God, <laughs> yeah. but it, they exist. They exist in every side, and you know, I, I I even say you know with I think I said this in about the the talk with Susan McKay. You know, getting out of your comfort zone is something that everybody needs to do, mm. and you know that there are there are people advocating for the union who they live on another planet. They they didn't have no grip on reality. There are people advocating for United Ireland, and I think, you know, you don't know what you're, <laughs> you need. To, you need to think outside the box here, um, and I think and I think it benefits everyone when they they listen to voices that maybe make them uncomfortable and maybe make them think. Mm. You know, even for myself, you know, you know, you know, talked about the the, the, the riots up in, in Lanark Way, and, and there was the trouble with the bonfire. You know, a friend of mine was from a Catholic nationalist background, and you know, when the the burnt the, the tricolor, I think the next day he said to me, "Sir, I can't." He said, I, I want a border poll tomorrow. He said, I cannot cope with this. You know, and that, that is that is the thing, you know, and you, you have to listen to this and there there are, you know, the legacy proposals, you know, when the government came out and said it was going to grant an amnesty, again another friend of mine, Catholic Nationalist background, said, I cannot cope, I cannot I, I, I cannot stay in this country, basically is what he said. I want a border poll, I cannot vote for this. You have to take that on board. You have to take that on board. I mean it's again I obviously I disagree with burning the tricolor and I'm not in favour of the government's proposals at all. But that is that is something that unionism seriously has to think about. You have to listen to those voices. It's it's deeply uncomfortable conversations, and you know, say the Sinn Féin first minister, again, the next thing you know, even for friends of mine that do not like Sinn Féin, they're from a Catholic nationalist background. You know, they don't like they don't like seeing Sinn Féin being disrespected. They don't like seeing they don't like the message being put out that that basically that that unionism has to be on top. It's an assault on democracy. It is, you know, and you know, I, I get. Look, everyone in politics wants to win. They want to see their enemies crumble to dust. <laughs> That's yeah. just how it works. Yeah. Everybody wants to see to come out top. And look, if 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 Sinn Fein get the first minister post, you know, obviously that's the, the narrative's going to be unionism in decline, the growth of the Republican Party. Sinn Fein are going to use it to probably push more for border poll. Like there are legitimate reasons why the DUP don't want the Sinn Fein to get this position. Naturally. But it's 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 the as you say, oh let's all band together, form one with unionist party and stop them from getting it that way. No, you know. It just sends a message. Is that even for people who don't like Sinn Féin, who I know, basically what they say is, well, look, it's the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. You know, my granddad got chopped out of the shipyard in the 1920s, and now apparently we can't have a first minister who's from a Catholic nationalist background. And that's what that's what they hear. You know what I mean? You can't. And then you go out and say, oh, you know, let's build, let's sell the union. <laughs> you know, you can't do it. You just can't do it. I appreciate you haven't got a crystal ball, Sarah, but 
What do you think the possibilities are of Sinn Féin becoming First Minister in next year's Assembly elections? I think it's a very, I think it's very likely. Obviously, likely. I do think it's very likely. Look, I mean, look, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen no. between now and, and next year. I mean, you know, they're probably going to trigger Article 16 at some point. God knows what's going to happen. Even if we just, we just don't know. And, and I, I would hate to be, I hate, I hate being certain about anything. But I do think that um, with the unionist vote splitting in different directions, um, and certainly if if Brexit becomes a huge factor getting these elections. And especially if if unionist parties start to act as though they don't, you know, they're going to go against the Sinn Féin first minister on principle, you know, people it'll be like the crocodile again. It'll be like that crocodile moment. It will, and you know, and people will rally and they will go out and vote for it. Um, and also, I, I just I think with with the alliance vote going up and the unionist vote starting to split, um, I, I I can I think it's more likely than than ever. That's an interesting observation, Sarah. Listen, I appreciate you're not on here to add fuel to the whole unity debate. Mm-hmm. You're an articulated uh, lady that can has your own views and I respect that. And I appreciate you going with me on this journey at times mm-hmm. here, um, even though it's not something that would naturally yeah. maybe uh, come to you. But in the event of mm-hmm. unity, Sarah, what provisions, I suppose, could be made to help accommodate the unionist community? Now, I know that's a massive mm-hmm. question and I know you aren't going to proclaim to speak on behalf yeah, of all unionism, but I suppose give me a flavour of it. Well, it'd be a whole, there'd be a whole wide range of things. So, I mean, obviously, social issues would, for me would be top. So, you know, I want an NHS, I want a good welfare state, I want Google to pay some tax, I want statutory sick pay. <laughs> you know, just got got the got the neoliberal agenda. Well, well, like, well, I think everybody agrees yeah, on that. Everybody will agree with that. Yeah, yep, got it. You know, basically, you know, the, the, the institutions that have been there since partition must fall. Um, but in terms of unionist identity, I mean, obviously, we want cultural protections for unionism. You know, um, the Good Friday Agreement, I think, still applies in the event of a United Ireland. So I think we can rely upon that. Um, you know, the right to march, the right to cultural expression, the right to fly flags from your house. Identity. Identity, those types of issues. I think um, the biggest one for me, though, and I, I touched on this when I was up in, in the James Connolly Centre, is, you know... If the border poll is a one-way ticket out of the union, you know, for some unionists, I think, think, well, we can't be ever be accommodated in the United Ireland because we have no path back to Britain. Um, so mm. I said this when I was up James Connolly. It, it, the, the agreement was signed, the agreement, and what we agreed and what we all voted on is if we have a border poll, um, United Ireland happens, we join United Ireland, and that's it, right? Which is, that's what we voted for. But I think some unionists, and Alex Kane has talked about this, their unionism effectively ends. So you can accommodate my British identity and United Ireland, no problem. Obviously, we can talk about would it be respected, would it be welcome or whatever. But in terms of unionist um, aspirations in the United Ireland, they're gone. So how do you do that now? Tell me this, just, mm. and that's an interesting thing that I haven't actually yeah. thought about. What's the difference between a, a unionist identity and a British identity? Now, I know I can answer that myself, but I would rather you answer Yeah, well, we, just because you're British doesn't mean you're a unionist, I suppose, you know? Yeah. So, so you know, there, yeah, there, there are people, enough. I mean, obviously, the two tend to go hand in hand, mm. but, I mean, I know people that would claim to be quite party British, but are in favour of United Ireland, you know what I mean? So, so mm. they, they um, it's, it's not always unionism, and, and obviously Britishness is... is hard to define in itself and what does that mean and everybody has a different idea of what Britishness means um, so yeah the two don't go hand in hand so I, I think you could accommodate British identity and, and legally speaking you could you, could, you know, change the constitution to allow British people to vote in constitutional referendums you know you have to do all of that um, in terms of unionism it is is 
obviously there's cultural unionism and obviously there's there's you know you could be a constitutional unionist and a cultural unionist you know but in terms of aspirations of unionism in terms of i want northern ireland to remain part of the union with britain that is gone and i said this at the james connor center i'm not sure what the solution is i don't know how you fix that but i i think that people are going to ask for a right to go back to britain i think somebody's going to ask for it i don't know how i feel about it i don't know how i feel about it because it is very very complicated um do we just ping back and forth between britain and ireland forever and this never ends it just good god but um there are pros and cons to that in the sense that i think that if we united down happens some people will turn to violence um and if you gave them a route back to britain peacefully maybe they wouldn't do it but the question becomes would britain take us back <laughs> that's the big question would i personally britain, think britain's been looking to get rid of us would, would britain take us back and if britain doesn't take us back then where does that anger and frustration go so i don't know but i i think it is something that you, you can talk about accommodating cultural unionism and british identity but for a lot of unionists their unionism ends there's no there's no path back to britain under the good friday agreement and that's what we voted for and i think i think the reason for it is obviously because when the agreement was signed nobody ever expected the united Ireland would happen that, yeah. that, and that's just the blatant truth about it no one ever thought it was possible. i think that's very interesting there's no path back no. if a united Ireland happened yeah interesting it is and, and this is this is where you come on to the practicalities of it i mean I mean, because obviously if United Ireland happened, the stability of the new state and that transition would, would go forward. I mean, when would it happen? If it could ever happen, what would the markers be? I mean, but you, you would like it that much, Sarah, that you wouldn't want to go back. Well, obviously I would, I would want to go back, but it's, it's the practicalities of it. You know, how, yeah. would you do, how would you do it legally? You know, with my lawyer having... Is the lawyer and you coming out how, now? You know, do, do you set the time, well, after 50 years, if that's the case, or do you do it every seven years? You know, and how would you do that? How would the state be stable in any way if it could? You know what I mean. Yeah. So, so the, the practicalities. You'd always of it, be waiting for that. Next well, exactly. Moment. But I've seen I've seen a few people mention it. Um, quite quite prominent people, not not just people that I would dismiss their opinion about. I don't think it's it's being discussed. I don't think it's it's a big thing. But I I have this this sense that this this will be an issue. But in this sense of unionist identity, if if. if my unionism is gone if United Ireland happens. I can't go back to Britain. Fair enough, that's what I voted for. And I think, you know, for me personally, you know, I think I would just have to get on with it. But you do wonder if somebody said, well, if you had the right to go back to Britain, would that be a good thing? Obviously it would, but how would it work? I don't know. I guess the sentence is I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. Really. Listen, love to hear it. <laughs> Thoughts are always good. Sarah, I believe you have actually taken part in a number of events linked to the Shared Island Unit setup. Um, an initiative launched mm -hmm. by Taoiseach Michael Martin back in October 2020, and we referred to that earlier. Yeah. A couple of wee points on this. How have you found the engagement? Yeah. And B, does it have the potential to bring benefits to the North? I think it does. I know some people are quite sceptical about the unit, and I know some people have withdrawn support for it in light of the protocol. Um, my engagement's always been very positive. Now, to be fair, it hasn't been you know a huge amount of engagement just because sometimes there's clashes. But no, I just want to ask you: Did you feel as if that you were being invited, as you referred to earlier, as a box taking access? No, actually, no, I wasn't. Um, because the, I, I, you know, you sometimes you would you would talk to people within the Shire Islands. They're very genuinely interested in what you have to say. Even when they disagree with you, you know, they're like you know they would they would listen to what you to what you have to say. They would take it on board. Um, they're not. They're not there. They're not looking for you to come down and 
tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. You know, they're actually quite keen for you to, to, to tell you mm-hmm. tell them straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I, I don't feel like it's a box-ticking exercise at all. I know, I, I think the concern that some people have is that it's a bit of a talking shop. And I think some people think, look, mm. you have to have, it has to have practical meaning. And I know there's there's talk about funding and, yeah. and things like that. So I think that is where the benefit could come from mm-hmm. um, if there's funding uh, for the north and, and not north-south um, connectivity could be improved through the shared energy, absolutely. But I think it has to have substance. You know, I do think they have gone about it the right way. You know, um, Michael Martin saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be asking for a border poll within the first five years. Um, you know, I think that does reassure people that it's not, it's not an ulterior agenda. Yeah. Obviously, some people I think are going to think that anyway. And you know, you could say, well, obviously it's about building the doing the groundwork in case there is a United Ireland. But you know, I, I don't, I'm not cynical about it. I just, I just think it needs to be more than just panel discussions and, and just needs to needs to have something on the ground to show people that it actually means something. I suppose it's ironic. I've been coming at it from the same perspective view, only slightly different as in I hope it's not just a box ticking exercise on behalf of the Irish government yeah. to say to say pro United Islanders luck was established a shared island unit. Mm. Um now would you shut up and leave us alone, you know? So I would agree in the sense that I hope to God that there's something more tangible yeah. going to come out of it. But this is where you and I would differ, I suppose, yeah. is that I would want to see them actually establishing a citizens' assembly mm. to accelerate, and um, so if we could honestly do the groundwork and preparation, if and when a new Ireland ever is created. Well, like, you know, obviously, whatever the if the South wants to discuss it, go for it. You know, um, obviously, I think people won't be happy about it. Obviously, I think that some people will. It will have an impact, you know. People up here will will probably feel quite anxious about it, quite angry about it. I think you have to take that if, if that's what they're going to do. Um, but we have no control over it. If the South, if the South government wants to set up a citizens' assembly to talk about it, go for it. I think obviously what they're going to. Would you join in the conversation if they did? Well, this is the question <laughs> again. You know, I, I don't know. I think it depends. I think, as you say, you don't want to. You don't want to be. You don't want to be used. You don't want to be seen as as being contributing to something that actually undermines your own position, or makes you feel like you're not being listened to. You know. But, but, but I I yeah. think you hit the nail on the head, sir. Yeah. For me, I know I genuinely I'm interested in yeah. your opinion, and if I wasn't, I wouldn't be having this conversation oh, yeah. with yeah. you. And I believe people are entering into this in good faith. Mm. Not everybody, of course, on yeah. it, and you can say that about either side. Yeah. For, but oh, yeah. um, you know. Without your participation and people like you, that you are pragmatic, yeah. and you know you're you're pretty reasonable and yeah. level-headed. You know, it's people like you we need to be having this conversation with. Well, I mean, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no straight off the bat. I just, I just don't know. I think it. Would it's just, a yes, folks. I think it would just, it just depend. It would just depend. But I, I just, for me, I want to see people talking about the union in Northern Ireland. That's that's what I want to see. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, obviously, I don't mind. I don't mind having chats with people, but it's not my priority. I want to. I want to talk about about the country that I'm living in. You know, Sarah, um, you and I only spoke once before, mm-hmm. and um, I believe in that conversation, Professor Pete Sherlow outed you. Um, so I'm gonna just in case anybody missed it, I'm gonna out you again here, and you know what I'm saying. You're involved in a group called We Make NI. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that group? Its hopes. Its goals, its aims, its aspirations. 
Yeah, I was involved with We Make an Eye um, for a good couple of months. It was a very positive experience. It was all about talking about an inclusive, progressive Northern Ireland. It was about um, looking at the issues on the ground. So, you know, we did videos about um, you know, young people, about deprivation. You know, it was about telling the positive story about Northern Ireland, trying to tell a positive story about the people here, because we felt that that was something that was deeply missing. So I have been involved for a couple of months now due to work commitments, but um, they're, they're doing good things. Sarah, is Stormont working? Can it work? And... What can be done better, I guess? The million dollar question. Yes. <laughs> um, I think, you know, a lo- outside of the, the media circus, there's a lot of, there is work that gets done in Stormont, you know, in ministerial departments um, and committees and things like that. Day to day stuff, there are things that a lot of the MLAs are working on and getting on with fine. Um, but you can't deny that the, the Good Friday institutions that have been set up, you know, it is coming to a point where I think a lot of people are feeling quite exasperated with them, um, particularly around mandatory coalition, around petitions of concern, that type of thing. And obviously it was it was all set up post-peace process and it is obviously transitional. It's meant to transition Northern Ireland from conflict and on our way into peace. Um, and there's a review clause in it which shows that it wasn't meant to be indefinite. I do think we need to talk about... Um, Obviously, I suppose I was going to say, obviously, if we had good politicians, I think it would, it would certainly help if we had better politicians than the institutions. But I, I think we need to talk about um, mandatory coalition, I think, is something I think what I want to talk about and consider. Now, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I think there's a good reason why we have it in place. Um, and we need to be very careful about it. But I think, you know, if we had the ability to have people in government that actually want to be in government to work together whoever they are yeah, I, I, I think that would greatly help I, I like you know I think a lot of people have this frustration that it's like I can't actually throw this government out I'm annoyed at the people that have been there for 10 years I can't do anything about it because even if they're not in the top OFMDFM they're going to be in it anyway um, so I think we need to talk about that I'm interested in having a, in having a conversation about that in terms of trying to do to get the the machines of government working you know we, we produce less legislation in scotland you know in terms of a productive devolved assembly we're far behind the other regions um so i really would like to talk about that but as i said i think better politicians would help and i think actually having people in, in, in government who are willing to accept the the institutions as they are there are people in government who i think are just there because they they have to be there. They're not really there to actually work for people. When you say have better politicians, mm-hmm. I know that's a, <clears throat> a general yeah. thing. And, and I think in any government, people could say that. So, oh, yeah. so I get your point there yeah. entirely. But just on a, on a general point, Sarah, do you feel as if that, that we as members of the voting society kind of take our lead from our politicians? And what I'm really getting at here is when we see this infighting and squabbling and bickering over Mm -hmm. basically everything, and it seems to me, and hopefully I'm wrong here, if one party says, this is my new proposal, automatically the other side is going to go against it without seemingly giving it any real thought. So I guess what I'm saying is, have our politicians a responsibility and we kind of follow their lead? I, I definitely think there's a, there's a there's a case of sometimes that we feed each other, that we feed <laughs> each other yeah, a wee bit. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean you can't deny that. I mean you, you, I mean the people are always ahead of the politicians, but you can't deny that um, they feed off things and that they get their influence from the outside sometimes. But yeah, that tendency of being well, they say the sky's blue, so now it's green. I t- I'm on principle. I'm just you know if, if they're in favour of it, I'm against it. And you know, sometimes I understand. You know, I understand sometimes when people take that position, but it's just, 
it's a different generation I would say but sometimes take that position and yeah. I, I just you know I take things on their merits yeah. you know if, if the party comes forward you look at it is it is it is it right or wrong and does it what's what's the best policy on the ground and then you vote based on that obviously we're talking you know obviously there are there are cultural issues and constitutional issues which are a wee bit different obviously that you know that's based on principles and non-ideology but you know things like bedroom tax universal credit or rights for instance you know i mean i, I remember a couple of years ago i remember reading an article i can't remember who wrote it but it was about you know how unionists don't like rights and rights talk is for <laughs> for people who aren't unionists i was just infuriated i was yeah. just like this is this is you know the ulster covenant talks about rights and sure the 12th of july isn't not about party about the bill of rights and, and the mm -hmm. glorious revolution you know infuriate you know people just have this position well that's for them that's not for us yeah. and, and i don't I, and that that's just a, a unionist example there's obviously examples on the other side um but yeah that 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 is deeply frustrating you know it, it should just be it should just be on merit <laughs> yeah agreed sarah we are um 48 minutes into this podcast so thank you for sticking with me mm -hmm. just um one or two last quick questions if there was anything that you could change about the good friday agreement what would that one thing be and why oh there's a question if I could change anything about it. You know, I actually think... I'm going to go home and I'm going to think about it, about it 20 other things that I could say. Of course. I mean, I, I obviously, I would have liked the agreement to have... Um, be a bit more forward-thinking in terms of rights, labour rights, that type of thing. I think the others, I think that, that category of the neither category, I do not think is, is, is as accommodated in that agreement as what it could be. Okay. And obviously, look, at the time... That that was not nobody was thinking about that group. They were very, you know, getting very low number of votes. Obviously significant, and the Alliance Party obviously have a, made a very significant contribution. But I, I think now that group, in terms of voting in the Assembly, I don't think they're on par with the Unionists and Nationalists. I think we need to look at that. I, I wish that had been accommodated, and that we, you know, back then they'd gone and said, well, actually, there's a huge chunk of people in society who maybe don't fall into these orange and green categories. So easily you know i think the agreement does entrench orange and green and you know i'm not one of these people that thinks oh if we just get rid of orange and green everything's fine i think orange and green just have to be at ease with each other i think the solution isn't to get rid of them it's just to you know just be chill with each other basically is my kind of philosophy but um i i definitely think that that the others i think the agreement should have catered them that's what i would change i would make give them equal voting rights i would not make the institutions as um focused on the binary just be chilled like you are, Sarah. Yeah, well, I, I try to be. Sometimes I'm not. <laughs> sometimes I'm not. Absolutely not. I think we, 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 all, we all sometimes can not. So, Sarah Creighton, water or alcohol? Mm. Oh, goodness. Um, alcohol. <laughs> I love a truthful answer. Favourite book? Oh, I've got so many favourite books. Um, obviously, I'm a big Harry Potter nut. But I also love I love To Kill a Mockingbird. I love um, I love the Brontes. I love Wuthering Heights. You know, I've read so many good books. But those are the ones I can think of at the top of my head. <laughs> Favorite film? Practical Magic. What was it? Practical Magic. Okay, haven't um, come across it. So mm, it's very good. It's on my to-do list. <laughs> Favorite food? Oh, pasta. Pasta. Mm -hmm. Okay. What one item will always be in your fridge, no matter what? I'm trying to think. There's a couple of things I could say. I'm trying to think of the least embarrassing one. <laughs> um, hot sauce. 
hot sauce. Yeah, I'm, I love spicy food. I won't laugh to my own heart the same oh, as me. Always, always have hot sauce in the fridge. <laughs> okay. Uh, apologies to anybody that takes offence by this next question. And my word that I'm going to use is not meant to. But if you could be God for one day, what would you change? In the world, in the world, obviously. Oh, my God. I, I would... I'm trying to think of the... Uh, what question? I really wish I had asked you to ask me these questions. I could have gone in advance. I mean, I would, I would um, abolish inequality. I would, I probably get rid of capitalism. I have to say, we'll get rid of yeah inequality. Will be my top one. Just click my fingers. Go. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Last question, and I promise. And um, this one is the one that most people hate most of all. But I ask it to everyone. It's kind of like a little theme. Mm. If you could invite three people to your fictional dinner party, either alive or dead, who would they be and why? Oh my goodness. I'm trying to think. Um, there's so many people. I mean, there's people I would love to invite to dinner so I could argue with them, you know, and shout at them. Um, but it wouldn't be very, very pleasant. Um, I would love... Um, I'd love to have spoken to Emily Bronte. She was a fascinating character. Maybe Anne Bronte, actually. Yeah, one of the Brontes. Um, I would love to. Um, I like interesting people with interesting stories. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the other two. Oh my goodness, this is so hard. Um, <laughs> this is going to be really. Your listeners are going to be like, oh my god, there's people. This is the toughest question that you've been asked all. This, this is like, yes, I say you think that I'm a feed of answers. I mean, I would, I would, you know, Barack Obama, I would say. Now, he is a very comp- problematic man at times, and, you know, he's, you know, I've, could talk about him for ages but he's a fascinating man i would love to talk to barack obama and also argue with him um i would love to talk speak about historical figures you know i would i would love to have talked to um who am i thinking about oh my goodness you know um i'm genuinely shocked that this has stumped you so much it's, it's just, it's, i haven't think about my head's just full of, of politics i'm just trying to think yeah barack obama and bronte and we'll say um um, Killian Murphy because I'm watching Peaky Blinders and he's he's gorgeous as we'll say funny I'm re-watching <laughs> it for the second time as well <laughs> yeah no he's lovely no it's just a zip of back of my head again I'll go home and I'll be like oh I should have said this person you know people are going to listen to this thing she is so uncultured what 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 other questions but um I, I, I have to sit and think about these things but yeah we'll say those three that'll do me <laughs> she was unflappable for one hour but I eventually managed to um, get, get under her skin in the last question wow <laughs> Yes, no, just to say, I'll go home and I'll think of about three or four different people that I would love to talk to. <laughs> Sarah Creighton, on that note, it's been an absolute pleasure and I sincerely mean that. You uh, were everything that I thought you were going to be. Very pleasant, very articulate, in no way offensive, but stuck to your core principles and put them across and respected, obviously, mine and ours as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as I always like to do, just give you an opportunity in case you want to say anything And uh, before we go. No, thank you very much for having me. It was great to be chatting. That's it, folks. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. And as usual, if you agree with anything that you heard, we'd love to hear your comments underneath the thread. And even, I guess, if you disagreed with anything, we'd equally like to hear them. So until the next time, take care, be good, and bye-bye.